0: Hello, everybody. Okay. Welcome to Rat Sound Review. This is album versus album. Hello. 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 Hello.
1: Hello. Hello. <laughs> can't believe you guys got on board with that.
0: You like a lot of cheesy stuff. I, I can't even say that because I like some cheesy stuff, too. What?
2: That's
1: one of the best songs. I was forced to listen to the debut for this album, and
0: I was impressed. I feel like the title track is a little weak, honestly. Am I gonna get crucified for saying this? Yeah. No.
1: Please get me off the fuck Club Ninja in the background. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Waiting for the Wolf growers Man, right wait. there. <laughs> I, what is that? Who, I dealt, uh, who advised on this album versus album tonight? Oh. Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have
0: the Club Ninja too. I just don't have it on my own. It's nice. Yeah. That,
3: this was actually sealed when I got it. Really? First one to ever play it. Wow. I think it's got a weird sheet. Oh yeah, we get a little
0: ah, black that? and white version of cover. Nice. Where'd you find that? Uh, place called Mill City Sound,
3: which is in Hastings, Hopkins,
0: Hopkins, Hopkins, Minnesota.
3: Yeah. You got her. And then this yes. is the Japanese version that I've had for a long time. Is there a bonus Um, track
2: on
1: there?
3: No, the uh, the bonus track that's on the BGO remaster from 2006 was uh, the B-side to the uh, Waiting for the Roar single. It's called uh, Doing Just Fine. But the only time it's been on CD is the remaster. This actually didn't sell very well when it first came out and it was only pressed like, once or twice before Columbia deleted the title.
0: I'm really shocked it didn't sell well. Yeah,
1: it's gone through the roof ever since. (laughs) Well, it certainly
3: sold more than On Target and Bad Bad Girls. Did it really? Yeah, well, God, I'd hope so. Those albums are awful.
1: All Fired Up is a good album.
3: I said On Target and Bad Bad Girls. <laughs>
1: yeah. And I said All Fired yeah, Up is a good album.
3: All Fired Up is a good album, but uh, <laughs> the, two, the two Lee Hart Presents Fast Way albums are shit.
0: <laughs> yeah, I checked out that uh, Bad Girls one and I was like, what the hell is this? Um, no.
3: Eddie doesn't even really play on that album other than a few token guitar solos. He was in rehab the whole time. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. He uh, he really hated those two records. That's why he did On Target reworked, where he re-recorded a couple of the uh, songs on there to make them sound a little bit better, but the reason he just picked and choosed instead of doing both of the albums is he really had nothing to do with writing either one of them. Huh. Lee Hart kind of conspired with the record company while Eddie was incapacitated and Stole the
1: show. <laughs> so was- pick and choose, Denny. Pick and choose, choose. Denny. Beard, <laughs> beard, already drunk. Uh, hard. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's uh We're going off in a different direction. Right? Yes. You are.
0: You're like you always do. That's all right. That's what the show's about. Going it's off in other directions.
3: Indeed.
0: But no, not that uh, I, suppo-
3: I suppose since you didn't properly no, not that introduce it, I, uh, I what direction? Straight One ahead. Direction?
0: Straight
3: ahead.
0: Straight ahead, because you're looking at the camera. We can see you.
3: Oh, okay. Thought you were talking about the Swiss people running around in the background. I think I might be having an acid flashback. You must be. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, waiting for the roar versus. Club Ninja by Blue Easter Colt and Fastway, respectively, both from '86. And uh, since we talked about Turbo and uh, I can't remember yeah. the. the, uh, the oh, one? the Ultimate Sin. Yeah, yeah. the other yeah. week about, you know, Metal X kind of glamming it up. Figured to pick a couple uh, hard rock ones that went a little AOR. Well, no, they went full blown AOR.
2: Not
0: even yeah. a little
3: bit. <laughs>
0: yeah, they both did. Yeah. Uh,
3: well, the, Waiting for the Roar actually has a little bit more of a uh, better story behind it than Club Ninja. I mean, Bluister Cult was kind of on what was thought to be their last legs at the point, and Sandy Perlman kind of came in and took over everything again, which he made most of the record work, but a lot of outside writers and a lot of shit just designed to uh, try to get them a radio hit.
2: Mm-hmm
3: but with um waiting for the roar fast did their first album and it didn't do much in england but it broke them really big in america and um they were on the maiden and saxon tour but also more importantly i think the acdc tour for flick of the switch uh what was really put them out there because really they're more similar to acdc than saxon and maiden but Anyway, um, it started selling really well, so Columbia pushed them quicker than they were ready and got them to put out All Fired Up, which is still a good album, but um, it's not quite as strong as the first one. But uh, the rest of the guys in the band at the time really didn't appreciate uh, the fact that the second record didn't do as well and all the pressure from the record company... So they split, and Dave King, the vocalist, went off back to Ireland with his old band that was called uh, Stillwood to do his own thing, and then Eddie decided to call him up and said, well, hey, why don't we get together with your old band and uh, kind of collaborate on your ideas with my ideas, and we'll make it a way album, and that's basically where it came out of.
0: Oh, wow. And Absolutely.
3: at the time, the record company thought it was an awesome idea. But, you know, you put out two albums of straight hard rock. That's what everybody's expecting for the third one. Yeah. So I think it bombed just because it was so far out of left field.
0: <laughs> yeah, I could say that because I did listen to the first album and it's, yeah, drastically different. I could say.
1: Yeah. And the first Don one. Edwin. The first one didn't uh, get hurt by the fact that they had a checkerboard uh, uh, album cover, which came out right after Spicoli's Vans did a year, year previous.
3: Yeah, probably not.
1: Because <laughs> that's what I always remember, man, is my old checkerboard uh, Vans, my Spicoli Vans, and then Fastway came out, and I'm like, all right, I can dig it. <laughs> but Dave, Dave King's voice on that album is really cool. it's uh it's different oh yeah he sounds great on that record well you
3: know that that's one thing we're not talking about the
1: record i'm sorry to get us off track no
3: that's fine but um no it kind of uh plays into something i was going to talk about with waiting for the roar on that album you know the first one he sounds great you can tell he's real into it but then you can go listen to all fired up and trick or treat and yeah he's there but he's not super into the material but on Waiting for the Roar, you can tell he was again, and I, th- I think that helps his record a lot yeah. because he puts so much in his performance. I guess. Oh, you didn't like this one that much, huh?
0: <laughs> Sorry to say, no.
3: Well, go go, go ahead.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> his vocals, I, they're okay at some songs, but someone's like... Um... Uh like that that slower track. I forgot what was the name of that? Far is it far? no oh, wait, I think I did the wrong album, I no
3: Far Far From Homes, the first album.
0: Alright, well there's uh, a slower there's a slower change track. Change
3: is probably what you're yes. talking about. The yes, ballad yes. with
0: yeah. Uh he started singing that. It seemed like a little off key to me, and I'm like, ugh, it's just I don't know. It just sounded weird to me. But the first song I really like. The world The World Waits for You. That's my favorite song of this album. Mm, okay. Because yeah, it's just it's a it's a catchy song. I like catchy songs. If it's not catchy, I'm not gonna like it. And uh, most of this album, to me, is not catchy. But it's not a bad, terrible album. Mm, okay.
1: Which which goes against what they were trying to do is make no. every track catchy,
0: and it just didn't work. No. But I you know I do it, I do think it's similar similar to the uh, Club Ninja album. Got like the same sound and the style. Reminds me a little bit of uh, Rat at points, and a little bit of Choir, I think. Yeah, I think
3: it, a little bit. Yeah, yeah.
0: A little bit. Um, let's see. Oh yeah, the World Waits for You. I think that song could be like two minutes shorter. It's like six minutes long, isn't
3: it? Well, yeah. You yeah. gotta build atmosphere, man. I
0: don't. Know, but they, they could. They could have knocked a couple World weights back a few minutes or so. <laughs> you know, all right, okay. chop it two minutes off. We, you know, we didn't need the solo in there. Um, but yeah, that's about it. It's like I said, it's not bad. I listened to this album like five or six times, and I felt the same way every time I listened to it. it just nothing, nothing grabbed me at all.
1: You got a lot of time on your hands.
0: Well, I <laughs> listen to music at work, so I, I have a long uh job day. So that's why, that's
1: why on Long Island has their mail all fucked up. You deliver it there, and it's supposed to go there—that kind of thing.
0: I don't know what you're talking about. I got you. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: sure. <laughs> yeah.
3: So, uh, what do you think? Uh, what do you think of waiting for the roar,
1: John? Um, I think it's about their fifth best album. Honestly, and and you uh, I wanted to pipe in when you said that these are AOR albums. I don't, I don't uh, agree with your definition of AOR because these were hard rock albums. Um, AOR that's Richard Marks and Idle Cure, and and uh, yeah,
3: AOR to me is Sticks and Journey. yeah. Yeah,
1: this isn't this isn't that though.
3: It does have it's
1: got similar, more in common songs. with Journey than it does Quiet Ride. Yes, well, sure. absolutely. But AOR is this uh, stuff you'd find on W Light Radio in my in my definition. You would be talking Air Supply, and that's AOR. Uh, this okay. Is,
3: well, yeah, it's
1: just do- good mid eighties hard rock uh, that fell short of anything memorable. Um, I listened to it. And I, I couldn't even write anything down uh, just because there was nothing there to write down, to be honest. Um, I still love Fast Eddie Clark. And you know what I did? I actually listened to Fast Eddie Clark's solo album after this, and I'm like, this is, this is Fast Eddie Clark. Uh, Waiting for the Roar isn't Fast Eddie Clark. I don't know. No, it's,
3: it's, it's totally Dave King's album, and. Honestly, I, I think it was really cool of Eddie to just let him take the reins like that.
1: Well, in 85, do you think uh, Eddie was just on too much shit? or Oh,
3: he, he was in the middle of drinking himself to death then. Okay. I, I mean, he was uh, on, on, on target, was 88, and that was when he collapsed and was hospitalized. So
1: that's only three years. You know? right um i couldn't even tell you a favorite song i mean waiting for the roar is the one that stuck out to me because i had uh another band called loud and clear that uh i thought covered it and then i listened to loud and clear i'm like no this isn't the same thing. so i'm just (laughs) telling you my my process of, of going through this and uh I'm ready to go to B.O.C. if you want to talk all about right. that. <laughs> I, I hated wow. that,
0: that roar thing that they put on in that song. What? The waiting to... waiting What the hell is it? Waiting to roar? Waiting for the roar? Waiting for the roar. Yeah. The the roar. Okay. yeah. They, I, they put the roar sound in there. It's just kind of corny.
3: Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know. I mean...
0: It didn't for, even sound for, like all a...
3: and, for all intents and purposes, you know... Uh, like I said, Dave King took control of it. He was 17 when he cut the first Fastway record. So he was only about 19, 20 years old doing mm-hmm.
0: this. Like yep. I said, it's not bad. I mean, well, yeah. now that you just said that, you know, for yeah. for his age, you know, it's not bad. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah because, because the only lots, thing. There's a lot of I turn not for this. Right. You know. Right.
3: Right. Only thing Eddie really did on this one was his own guitar lines and then help the guys with the structure of the songs but uh i think it's a, a pretty good record i mean a, a lot of it's just basic stuff that doesn't really stick in your head but the first song the world waits for you and then is really good uh, my favorite are the last two girl which i think is the best song on the record and then backdoor man because they're a little bit rockier eddie's got more of a presence on those songs but uh i mean there's good riffs scattered all over the album and they get in the good grooves on like tired of your love and uh, a couple of the other songs there are a couple i hate outright though like they're a attempt at a u.s single with a uh, rock on
1: yeah, yeah gonna just... rock
3: gonna bop to the usa no thanks. yeah
1: <laughs> shut up hey um you look in 1985 and put the words rock on, and yeah. <laughs> 1500 other songs will come up. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and
3: uh, Kill Me With Your Heart, the second track, not the best song ever, but that one's still got a pretty good groove to it. The better versions of these songs are actually on uh, the live album that was released in the 90s from this tour. It's called Say What You Will Live. Got that. Yeah,
1: and uh, that's
3: the better way to hear it, because it's more acoustic. You don't have a lot of the studio crap and
1: as many synths on it. Can I I show my ignorance real quick? Sure. Where was Clark and the uh, Motorhead uh, thing at this point?
3: They weren't speaking at this point. They had the falling out uh, when Lemmy went to do the Stand By Your Man cover with uh, Wendy O. Williams. Right, right. And uh, Eddie hated the idea. He thought it was gimmicky and he didn't want Motorhead to do it, which is why he doesn't appear on that. Um, So, he agreed to do the Iron Fist album, finished that out, and then left. And... He had already been talking to Pete Way and working on Fast with him and had a lot of the songs in the first album already written. Uh, but what happened there, and it was him, Pete Way, and Jerry Shirley. Jerry Shirley was the drummer from Humble Pie, and he stayed on. What happened with Pete Way is Chrysalis was originally supposed to pick him up, and Eddie waited, I think, something like three months. They still hadn't called him back. And he wasn't making any money, so he took it to CBS and got signed. Chrysalis was pissed and wouldn't release Pete Way. So, Well,
1: it wasn't and, Wasted uh, Chrysalis, too?
3: Yeah, but Fastway's Ways on Columbia. Wasted was on Chrysalis because oh, okay. Chrysalis still owned Pete Way's uh, contract. But since Eddie oh, went God. with Columbia, they weren't happy about it, and they wouldn't let him play on the album.
1: Well, who came out on top of that, Columbia or Chrysalis? <laughs> yeah, true.
0: Who's Chrysalis?
1: True. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I know who they are. I know. Yeah, there's.
0: That's what I. I there's I mean, still litigation going on with that label. Really? God. <laughs> Armand Saint was on that label.
1: Yeah. So it was Jellyfish.
0: No, Vinnie that Vincent was Chrysalis. Sorry. All right. Yeah. Okay, so Club Ninja.
3: Yep. Um, around this time, this is right after the 83 tour, the original band kind of broke up during Fire of the Unknown Origin Door in 81 because there's is some issues between Albert Bouchard, the drummer, and uh, Eric and Buck. And that's a whole long story. But uh, anyway... With that album and the one... Well, the two before that, they had been trying out different producers, so they kind of started working away from what they were originally doing and everybody being collaborative songwriters and the outside writers started coming in, like on uh, You Gotta Take Me Away, Without Nova On The Revolution By Night, Shooting Shark, a couple other songs like that. Things that generally worked out and did real well for them. Mm-hmm. But... Um, the rest of that album isn't all that great and they were getting ready to i believe break up for good but they ended up doing this album and columbia got them back together with sandy perlman their original manager and a lot of the brainchild behind their original image lyrics what have you so he really took control on this and picked most of the songs and This is also the last album before the original bass player, Joe Bouchard, left. And Alan Langer, the keyboard player, left before they did this record, too. So, really, it should be called Two Oyster Cult. (laughs) But, um... Blue
1: Oyster Cult. Yeah.
3: (laughs) But, uh, for for all the weirdness that it encumbered, um, I think it comes off as a pretty good record, and, you know... Sandy Perlman really shows his mastery on it, because a couple of them songs really aren't all that great of songs in their original form. But through his arrangements and how the band did them, you know, it turns from what seems like it'll be kind of a boring record to almost a slab of gold in your hands.
1: Nice. Except yeah, for May- got one of your favorite songs on it, right?
3: Yeah, Dancing in the Ruins is on it. That's a great track. But um, it's also got one of my favorite Buck Dharma songs ever, uh, Perfect Water. That is a fucking beautiful song.
2: Oh. Yeah. Sorry.
3: Sorry. It also features the last collaboration between one of their early lyric writers and them, too, on um, Spy in the House of the Night. Which is based off of a poem by Richard Meltzer uh, called "Out of Smokes."
0: Hmm. Well, you know a lot about this album. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't have to look on Wikipedia.
3: <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> even know if it says all that on Wikipedia.
0: <laughs> I'm not gonna look. I'm just gonna take your word for it. Well, three percent of Dragon's
1: brain is all BOC uh, trivia, so yeah, I know. And knowledge—that's good. 90 percent uh 97 percent is anyway it's, uh revolution by night did that come out uh was that the album right before club ninja yeah mm-hmm. so there's a couple year gap there then mm-hmm. three well, that's not
3: too bad. Yeah. well yeah buck did a solo album in between there and they were kind of working on different projects and then Columbia brought them back together and had them do this. And then, how the album after this, Imaginos, which has the illusion that the original band is back together, but it isn't. It's actually a bunch of tapes cobbled together from over 10, 15 years. Um, but originally, Al was going to do his own solo thing. And Columbia said, <laughs> We're not putting any of this shit out unless it's called Blue Oyster Cult. <laughs> right. <laughs> Get Sandy and then. Sandy took control of it, and man, he was in, I forget, somewhere in California at the time, and on that album, they have something they call the Guitar Orchestra of Imaginos. Guys from Blind Illusion, Possessed, Primus are on that record. He grabbed just about everybody that was working on albums around him and had him cut a guitar solo,
1: but that's not So that was uh, no, no Cal then, Northern California, where all that came from.
3: I believe so. I'd have to look. I don't remember.
0: All right. So what do you think of this album, John?
1: Uncle Saxon, um, this is my first BOC album back in the day. Um, I didn't give it a chance then. I've given it more of a chance since uh, me and Noggle went and saw BOC, what, uh, about a year and a half ago,
3: a couple years ago? Yeah, a year and a half.
1: Yeah, and he brought up uh, dancing in the ruins, and he was like, "They're gonna play it. They gotta play it. They're not gonna play it. They're not gonna play it. Gonna play it. They played it. Oh, they and, did? Uh, yeah. yeah, man. Yeah, after Noggle, after Dragon got all uh, hyped up about that, and they played it. Mm. You know, I um, I was more into uh, uh, into Buck's um, guitar playing than I was the rest of the band that night. Mm. Uh, he just—he really turned me on. I was—I was floored by what a musician that dude is. Um, was the whole
0: band—is there a gloom there?
1: Yeah, Eric's there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm just—I I was focused on on Buck. Uh, but after that, I I came back and I listened to Dancing the Ruins and I listened to the rest of this album uh, over the last couple of years. I don't mind it. It's actually. Uh, it's become my favorite bluish cult album because I really haven't listened to a lot of the other bluish cult albums, to be honest. <laughs> so I'm more familiar with this one than I am with, uh, say, Fire of Unknown Origin or, you know, or '70s yeah. stuff. Yeah. So I I like it. I listened to it a couple of times in the last week, and uh, I still don't think it's AOR, but I think it's a good hard rock album. I really do. I'd be interested you what the, you uh, You know, when they cobbled a lot of stuff together later, mm-hmm. that reminds me of Tokyo Blade, and they just threw the the label on there. No matter, I mean, Tokyo Blade was Andy Bolton and about uh, ten years worth of tape. So, I can I can understand what they were doing back then, just uh, trying to get that cash grab. Mm-hmm.
0: I'd be interested to what you what uh, what you think of the other albums. Since this one is a little drastically different. Uh, Revolution
1: by Night? You know, I got a hard-on for that because I'm a huge Aldo Nova fan. Mm. And, uh, well, Dragon Dragon is how I like that album. But, uh, honestly, I've actually listened to Club Ninja a lot more than I've listened to that album. Mm. And uh, that's where I stand.
0: (laughs) Well, Well, you're sitting, but close enough. You are right, sitting, right? right? <laughs> On you, Nooner. All right. I love this album, by the way. Wow, love that's strong. I love it. I do. I love this album. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a very modern sounding for them. You know, coming from the uh, the other albums, but it's cool. You know, I don't like a lot of the um, the synthesizer keyboard things, especially in "Dancing in the Ruins." I hate that middle part where he goes
1: "damn, damn, damn." Really, I think that's cool. I hate yeah,
0: that. Yeah, me too. Uh, that bothers me. You could just get rid of that and I'll be okay. But I still love the song. I'm not going to throw the song away. Uh, a lot of catchy stuff on here. A lot more catchy stuff on this album than it was on the Fast Away album. I'm sorry. Like uh, oh. White white, yeah, white Flags, Method to the Madness, Dancing in the Ruins. Um. I, I used to think Rock Not War was like the worst song on this album. It is. But it's not. Oh, and as I was going through this to make a like little list here of what I liked and didn't like, I was gonna add your favorite song to my don't like list, but I changed my mind. I do not like when the war comes home.
3: Uh, it's just called when the war comes.
0: I, I my thing is that when the war comes home, I don't know. It kind of
1: drags a little bit.
3: Yeah, it's it's unfortunate too because that's the last song Joe Bouchard ever wrote and played with them and it just kind of drags on. I mean, really I the only thing special about it is Howard Sterns, the one that does the spoken word intro.
0: Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. I hate it um, because it says Uga Chaka. Well, I... <laughs> <laughs> Any song that says Uga Chaka I hate. <laughs> can't
3: fight that feeling. Or um, Trump,
0: so that, 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 that's you what it reminds can't me fight of. That like that feeling, I know. You that's just what I hate it. I, I hate it. Something inside of me. Deep <laughs> inside <laughs> of me. <laughs> just like, why would they put that in this song? Like, like it fits, but it's just so stupid. Uh, the other songs aren't that bad. The album's a little uneven, but I still think it's a it's a really good album. I, this album gets a lot of hate. I don't know why. There's some it kind does, of stuff too. on here. I don't get it, it does. I don't either. I don't know. I like it. Yeah,
3: I mean I I It's guess not my favorite
0: Bach album, but I, I like it. Stop Did you say Bach? Bach what?
3: is really annoying.
0: <laughs> what? Bach.
3: No, what's,
1: what's Bach? It's beam?
0: What? Sorry, I'm from New York. What do you expect? Aka-daka. Yeah, exactly. I just found out <laughs> that that's ACDC in Australia. Yeah. Weird.
1: Those are insane.
0: Yeah. Huh. guess you never knew that, huh, Greg?
1: No, I didn't.
0: Yeah. Akedaka. Akedaka. Yeah. yeah. I had no hey. idea. So, what do you think about this album, Greg? You love this album, too, right?
1: Uh, I...
3: I don't love it. I like it a lot. It's um, one of my favorites from their later era, but I don't think it holds up quite as well as some of their earlier material, but I don't really think they ever did a bad album, to be honest with you. They're mostly Buck Mm. at this point. Um, Really excellent songwriters and, you know, arrangers and Sandy Perlman helps with a lot of that. Like I said, uh, you know, White Flags is a great example. Um, that works excellently here for them because uh, the way they redid it and kind of formed it to their own uh, image where, you know, it's it's poppy and it's modern, but it's got that weird, dark BOC edge to it too because the ori- the original song by couple guys called the Legat Brothers, who I've never heard of. A uh, couple hosers. But <laughs> their version of it sucks.
1: So. Take off. What's that? I said take off, eh? Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, Dancing in the Ruins is originally by somebody else, too. But they really made that their own. And I think that's, uh, Wait, that's a great com-
0: one. It's a cover? It's an old
3: Dion song. Yeah. Really? Wait, Dion? Uh, no. don't, don't
0: listen to Uncle
1: <laughs>
2: Um,
3: I know oh, a guy named Joey Scanlon wrote it, but I don't know what band he was in.
0: Really? Yeah. Well,
3: you, you know, it may not have been recorded before. It may just have been written by somebody that Sandy knew for the album. I'd have to look more into that.
0: Yeah, he's, I think Sagan's doing that right now. Yeah. Because I, uh, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's like a cover or anything.
3: No, I don't think so. Now that I'm thinking about it.
2: Yeah. Uh, but yeah, realize. and then
3: and then make rock not war is by Bob Halligan Jr. And so is beat 'em up.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's uh, the other song I don't like. Beat 'em up. That's kind of stupid.
3: They, well, they're both dumb because they're Bob yeah. Halligan Jr. songs, but. <laughs> I mean, you know, I like a couple of the ones he did for Priest, but they weren't exactly the best ever. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it happens. But uh, "Beat 'Em Up" uh, has some really cool guitar work from Buck in it. I mean, it's it's cheesy, it's goofy, yeah. but I I actually do like that song. Um,
0: that, that, that's what it is. Like this, there are you know, like the the bad songs, but there are cool parts in those bad songs, which sucks. You know?
3: Yeah, I mean, Make Rock Not War actually starts off with a pretty awesome yeah. guitar riff. It's just yeah. the song can't keep it together. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: And uh, I mean, Perfect Water, though, I think is one of Buck's best compositions ever. He just lays some beautiful guitar melodies and solos on that song.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't care if that song that much. I don't know what it is. Just weird. It's...
3: And then Spy in the House of the Night is another good one. Great BOC, you know, old style first album type lyrics, courtesy of Meltzer. And uh, it's just a good song. And then When when the War Comes is a little boring. I don't really care for that. I mean, Oogachaka.
0: Oogachaka.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes I'll skip it because that gets on my nerves after a little while. Yeah,
0: so stupid. (laughs)
3: <laughs> Shadow Warrior I like a lot too. Uh, yeah,
0: see? I mean it,
3: It's 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 not the best song on the record, but uh it's got a, <laughs> Yeah, see that?
0: It says when the war comes home.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. it says That's not what my album
0: says though. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, we can't
1: read that. Yeah. Well, it says when the war comes, I assure you.
0: <laughs> no, I believe you. I'm not like, I'm not like saying you're alive. It's
1: called C-U-M-S. <S. And uh, that's just for weird people. But do you want to know what Wikipedia says about Dancing in the Ruins? What's that? Dancing in the Ruins is an American hard blues song originally done by Wasted Willie Two-Shoes Johnson in 1952 at, uh, what's that saying? My eyes, hold on a second. Dwight Eisenhower's inauguration. <laughs> Does that makes sense? No. Not at all. Not really. <laughs> and I mean... And I Willie I, I, Shoes Johnson's 26th single the following year in 1953 and reached number nine on Billboard Mainstream Rock
0: Charts. I, me, I don't know that's right.
1: <laughs> well, I... <laughs> that was I the would, fun...
0: Yo, dick. <laughs>
1: well, the, the, the thing <laughs> is... Fucking, uh, back That's, when they
3: fucking wrote it. Back when they were the soft white underbelly, though, they used to take older, not so much rockabilly, but, you know, early rock and roll songs like that and redo them in their own psychedelic rock style at the time. So
1: that wasn't entirely unbelievable, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Dharma and Bloom did a lot of drugs like in the early seventies or they actually
3: uh Bloom Buck
2: the
1: Boot brothers
3: and yeah, Oyster Bay. That's part yeah. of where the name comes from. Yeah. But uh they were all in uh the uh the college over there at uh Stony Brook together. Stony Brook. Yeah. Yeah, and that was how they Sandy and Richard Meltzer all met, and Sandy and Richard kind of wrote the lyrics and helped shape the image. Uh, they originally gave everybody nicknames. Buck's the only one that kept his. Eric Bloom was originally uh, Jesse Python.
2: Uh, <laughs>
3: oh, man. Alan Lanier, the keyboard player, was Laverne. Wow. Uh, <coughs> Al- Al the drummer was Prince Omega, and I can't remember what Joe's name was. I'd have to
1: look it up. <laughs> was uh, Johnson? I think was his name, right? Yeah, two
3: te- yeah, Two Teeth <laughs> Willie Johnson. Sure,
1: let's just go with it. <laughs> you know anyway, let, let me throw this out here to all the people, all the masses that happen to be watching this. Um... Greg Noggle Dragon, he is our uh, resident Blue Oyster Cult slash Fastway encyclopedia. This was his choices, and uh, me and Wayne are just on board um, kind of as newbies. Uh, He's the man that knows all about it, and he's actually turned me on more to these two bands than I ever would have been.
0: Actually, I wish my friend would come on the oh, show this. he's he's a big uh, BOC fan, like huge. He he actually gave me a um. What's the, What's the? 400? Huh? What's that? Is he about four
1: hundred pounds?
0: No, not at all. He's skinnier yeah. than all of us. Oh.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> he he gave me uh it was not secret treaties. What's the one with the, like the black and white cover um. Tyranny.
1: Yes, wait.
3: So tyranny there. and Mutation.
0: Yeah, he gave me that one, and uh, Albert Bouchard uh, signed it.
3: Nice. Oh, cool. yeah. um, well, once they're back off tour, I'd like to get one of them on the show, actually.
0: I, I emailed uh, Eric Bloom the other day.
3: Well, yeah. um, the, the Bouchard brothers do Blue Coop. With Dennis yeah, yeah, Dunaway yeah.
0: From, yep. yeah actually, I, I emailed him too, Dennis Dunaway.
3: He's a cool guy. I've met him before, actually. He'd be he'd be a real fun conversation.
0: My friend went to Chiller the other day, and um, Chiller Theater. You know what that is, right? Yes. Yeah, being from Jersey, he should he knows you don't know. Um, he met uh uh Dennis Dunaway there, and he went over to him, and you know most of the guys they charge you know ridiculous amount of price uh whatever to get a picture taken or whatever with them, and he was like you know. My friend got the picture with him. He got... Um, oh, man. he Dennis Dunaway had, like, a, a couple other people come over and, you know, get into the picture and stuff like that and it signs a couple things like that. And got, he, my friend's like, how much do you want? He's like, $10. Yeah.
2: Meanwhile,
0: meanwhile, he gave uh, Doyle from the Misfits, like, $40 for, like, a picture or something, and he didn't even give a shit.
3: Um, when when oh, I convention?
1: met...
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, if it's
1: a convention thing, I can understand, but just at a show... People charge, that's fucking
0: bullshit. Yeah, no, it's it's a convention. You know, some people yeah. don't, you know, charge that much. Well, well at a convention,
1: you're there to make money. That's that's what yeah, it's yeah, about. Yeah. But yeah,
0: right. not a show. They usually don't charge you. But you what's know. let's, what's let's Chiller, real quick? It's mostly like a horror convention.
3: Yeah. Oh. yeah. Um, it's it used to have a different name, but um, Chiller sponsors it now. That TV channel.
0: Oh really? Yeah, that's
3: I that. forget what it used to be called.
0: Alright, what are we giving uh, these two albums? Because we got to get going.
1: Uncle Saxon gives uh, Fastway a 5 and Club Ninja a 7.
0: Oh. What about you, Greg? Uh,
3: Club Ninja, I'd give an 8.5 and, and Waiting for the Roar gets a 7.
0: Wow. 7, huh? Yeah. Damn. Interesting. I'm giving Club Ninja... I, what?
3: I love Fast Eddie Clark and Bucked Armor,
0: man. Apparently you do. I, I wonder, <laughs> I, I'm interested to hear the uh, Fast Eddie uh, solo album. I'll send it to you. Let's I mean, I I'll, it. I'll yeah. buy it
1: for you and send it to you.
0: Yeah, sure. Um,
1: I yeah. have it uh, with the bonus track, you, too.
0: You have to scratch your balls on TV. Yes. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's his vagina. Yeah. Um... <laughs> All right. I'm giving Club Ninja seven. And I'm giving Fastway a four, unfortunately. Mm. I'm going to give it a four because, you know, the songs are good. They're not terrible. It's not a terrible album. I wouldn't tell people, don't go buy it. But songs aren't that memorable to me. But there are some good songs on there. And the first song is enough for me to give it a four. Because if I make I a mix of anything. I
1: would, I would do the same thing, actually. I'll, I'll give Fastway a four and Club Ninjas seven, two.
0: Yeah. I would definitely put that, uh, that first track on, on any mixtape I make because it's just a cool song. 'cause the world waits for you 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 got to find your place inside the sun that's right see you guys next week adios bye